Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Warning. The Josh Hammer Show is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Paving a path forward for the new right. If you are a conservative, if you are a religious person, if you are a traditionalist, frankly, if you just love this country, fight back. And exposing the woke left. What is this identity politics drill? Why is the right playing into that? The only way out is through. This is the Josh Hammer Show. So New York City appears to maybe be banning brick oven pizza. And if you're sitting there shaking your head and saying, what the hell, then you are not alone. That was certainly my reaction when I heard the news earlier this week. Well, we're going to bring on a great guest momentarily, Joe Borelli. He's the minority leader of the New York City Council. He's been fighting this fight in the city council. He's been fighting a lot of fights, actually. It's kind of a lone voice of sanity and traditional values there in a blue city bastion of anarchy with the migrants and all of that stuff currently going on there. So excited to talk about this with Joe. And in particular, I want to talk about with Joe how the environmental cause, this environmental cause, this green cause, it is a quasi-pagan thing. I remember when I was on Laura Ingram's show on Fox this past year, we talked about this. If you think about what is going on here for the average person who was so fundamentally in the weeds for cutting emissions, for not having children, all the various logical conclusions that this cause necessarily inspires... Where is this coming from? Well, it's certainly not coming from the book of Genesis, which famously says, be fruitful and multiply. It's coming from a fundamentally pagan ideology. And it kind of is similar to this pagan ideology that we've seen kind of rise when it comes to the transgender issue and gender ideology in general here. But anyway, we'll unpack a lot of that with our guest, Joe Borelli. Looking forward to getting into that conversation with him. So let's take it to a very quick commercial break. We'll be right back on the other side with Joe Borelli, the minority leader of the New York City Council. Stay with us. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Josh Hammer Show. Our guest this week is Joe Borelli. Joe has become a friend of mine in recent years, does some good work on cable news and in the written media forum, but most importantly, just a real kind of red-blooded New Yorker, I think, for lack of a better description. Joe, you are the minority leader on the New York City Council. You've really kind of gotten out there in recent years as really kind of the Republican face, I think, of New York City's opposition to democratic governance and uh, many of the ill-fated policies of the leadership there. So I want to hop in. So thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is uh, this is a great opportunity and it's always great to spend time with you. I don't talk about it often, but I did grow up in New York. I, I grew up in the suburbs, not in the city. So, you know, I think some city people like my own mother will kind of question whether I really grew up in New York. But, you know, among the things, Joe, that I just cherished growing up, and this is such a cliche thing to say, but I'm going to just say it anyway, is the pizza. I have not lived in New York for 16 years now, and I don't think in that time I have gotten probably more than five to 10 slices of pizza in that whole 16-year stretch that really kind of remind me of growing up and some of those iconic places in the suburbs and, of course, in the city itself. And the reason I want to bring you on this week, we'll get into some other topics, was this pizza ban that Dave Portnoy went on this epic rant about the other night. Some dude was outside Mayor Adams's mansion, Gracie Mansion, literally throwing a pizza slice as a form of protest. I mean, this is one of New York City's most iconic things. So can you kind of just walk us through what is going on here? And then we'll kind of use that as a launching off point for a broader discussion about some of the silly stuff coming from City Hall. Yeah, well, I mean, keep in mind that of all the frustrations New Yorkers face and all the the things we could talk about uh, that go wrong here, uh, the thing that really is uh, unanimously viewed as one of the greatest parts of the city is the different foods uh, and the different cultural experiences you can get by eating delicious things. And one of the most famous things, obviously, is pizza. So when you attack uh, the way really high-end delicious pizza is made in New York. I mean, it is, you know, akin to the the let them eat cake moment where uh, people at a very granular level uh, are are frankly upset that something that gives them a little bit of joy in an otherwise joyless city uh, is going to be threatened and jeopardized. And by the way, we're not just talking about pizza. We're talking about any food that's prepared with a combustible fuel, a solid fuel. So we're talking about Argentine steakhouses. We're talking about traditional matzo ovens. We're talking about, um, you know, uh, jerk chicken stands uh, and uh, barbecue places. So this is just a silly, 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 unforced era that the mayor, you know, it, this was actually a de Blasio thing, but this mayor, uh, his administration seems to be moving forward with it. But they stepped on a rake uh, and I suspect they do back off it. Well, walk us through how this happened then. I I guess I had forgotten that it had as its source of origin the de Blasio administration. So why did it linger then if de Blasio initially proposed it? What was kind of the delay in finally getting us to this point where brick oven pizzas in New York and other ovens, as you are talking about here, might actually go the way of the dodo bird? How did it resurface? So this is a really good uh, case study in why we should fight uh, environmental justice advocates uh, at all at all corners, really. So this is a law that was passed in 2015 uh, by the city council, signed by Mayor Adams, supported and pushed by him, where we were going to reduce our emissions by whatever it is, 75 percent. Um, now, keep in mind, the city has a fleet of like 20, 30,000 vehicles uh, from the fire department to the sanitation department. We've actually increased uh, over that same period diesel emissions from diesel vehicles by 300 percent. Right. So even if you want to make the argument that like we, we should be really reducing emissions, which I don't necessarily doubt we, we should. But the city itself is doing a horrible job and causing way more pollution than these pizzerias. But part of this law 
was that anyone burning combustible fuel, be it coal or be it uh, wood, uh, has to have some sort of emission scrubber to, to basically take the, 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 the particulate matter out of the air. So this is one of those good, you know, hashtag environmental justice laws that was passed now it, it comes to the time where it gets implemented uh, and these bureaucrats are just like, well, the law says we have to do this. So we got to do this and we got to be strict about it and we can't have any more pizza. There's a lack of common sense. And unfortunately, where I will criticize the uh, mayor right now is that there, there seems to be no deputy mayor type level where before a policy goes out the door, they do a simple smell test of is this really freaking stupid? And this is one of those things that should have been like, wait, 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 let's, you know, let's grandfather all these businesses in, maybe, you know, talk about it going forward for a new restaurant or something. And it just didn't happen. So I guess the reason that I find this conversation so fascinating is it's kind of this interesting Venn diagram overlap of cultural, political touchstones and really just shines a bright spotlight on what I think you accurately refer to as the quote unquote environmental justice movement as this broader movement of, shall we say, Upper West Side, New York Times, op-ed page reading, limousine liberalism. And it, and it has an element of both class war and culture war as well. I mean, look, I think back to my great-grandparents, who uh, at least one, or at least two of them grew up in kind of those traditional Lower East Side tenements during that great Ellis Island immigration wave. They were Ashkenazi Jewish, but whether it was them, whether it was the Italians, the Irish, I, I mean, things like like pizza, for God's sake. I, I mean, getting a cheap slice of pizza as, like a, as, a, as a healthy meal, it just really just underscores this huge divide as to how I think the progressives, the far left, and really increasingly in many ways, the mainstream, the heart and soul of Democratic Party leadership have just taken this green environmental crusade to just crush us. Posit this. I mean, think about how food does really two things. It takes a cultural group, uh, Italians or, um, you know, say for jerk chicken, you know, West Indian people. Uh, and it does one thing on one hand where it cements their their sort of status as a, a, a solid, unified cultural group. It helps them preserve right. their individual identity. That's what food does. At the same time, it actually expands your diversity of experiences with other cultures where now you're part of a city, uh, uh, you're part of a community that has so many of these little insular ethnic groups. But when you try to experience them, you do so through food. No other you know, idea, concept or thing on Earth does that as well as food. Uh, so when you target that in any way, you're going to be met with real, real negative reactions. So what are some other similar proposals that you've encountered in your time in city council and that I'm sure that you're involved on a day to day basis on pushing back upon that you think have this similar dynamic of this kind of out of touch limousine liberalism? It, it doesn't have to be kind of climate or environmental, but it oftentimes is. I mean, are there any other issues that come yeah. to mind? I mean, the most important one we're going through right now is this congestion pricing charge right. that was approved by the federal government. Um, the governor announced it uh, yesterday as as uh, it, it clearing its final hurdle, although, um, you know, Phil Murphy in New Jersey, the governor, Bob Menendez, the senator and Josh Gottheimer, the, the congressman, three Democrats. It's rare when I root for them. Uh, and yet uh, the, they, they are the three uh, biggest uh, opponents of this proposal right now and, and will be suing on behalf of the New Jersey constituents. And I am, you know, full throated behind them. I uh, never thought I would be. But here I am. 
But this proposal is essentially the governor saying that driving is now a, a privileged reserve for the rich because you will be charged $23 in addition, it looks like, to perhaps the $20 toll you might already face if you're coming from, say, New Jersey or from where I live in Staten Island. So you're talking about more than people make uh, who get minimum wage, perhaps uh, in two hours of their labor, uh, just for the privilege of entering a part of the city that they already pay taxes to pay for the streets, et cetera. Uh, this is unprecedented in the U.S. Uh, it is it is uh, e existing right now in Stockholm, which uh, Sweden as an entire country has fewer people than New York at a smaller budget. Um, the only really comparable is London. And in London, uh, Mayor Khan, uh, congestion pricing there has been enforced in, in, in uh, for about 20 years now. Uh, Mayor Khan tried to expand it. And when he was selling the public on expanding it from just the tiny central business district to, to sort of broader uh, all of the councils in London, uh, he met with stiff resistance because people felt, and, and it's, it's proven by data. I mean, Inrix is a, is a world uh, traffic data uh, um, company. And London is actually 33% more congested than New York. And yet our leaders here are looking at that as the model. Uh, it has also not reduced any pollution around London, uh, especially outside of the central business district. And the London model actually encourages EVs. So it actually makes it more incentivized to you, for you to get an EV. They have more EVs as a result, and it still hasn't really dealt with their uh, pollution. As a result, 65% of Londoners actually voted against, in a real public consultation, what it's called, it's a vote, they voted against Mayor Khan's expansion because they don't say it's working. And yet here, our leaders are saying, look at how well it's working in London. <laughs> and this is something we should be doing. And, and here we are at, at the verge of actually implementing it. It kind of reminds me, actually, of American leftists' fondness for British and Canadian healthcare at the, at the national stage. I mean, I mean, they look at the NHS, the National Health Service over in the UK or Canada, similar system, and they say, oh man, oh man, they have it so great over there. Well, they actually really don't. <laughs> um, I mean, to be- The worst I, cancer survivability rate is a pretty big red flag to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Canadians are basically pouring across the border at this point to get a, a, a knee transplant, to get any kind of, of surgery. And to, and to be clear, I am not saying that the American- healthcare system is particularly great. In fact, I, I think it basically sucks. And I, I have fairly few ideas as to how to fix it. It's one policy area where I find myself stumped. But what I know for sure is that the UK and Canada and systems like that are not the, the path forward. So really kind of crazy. So I guess if the empirical evidence, Joe, in London, when it comes to this congestion pricing is, is this stacked? Is, is this undeniable? The question is why? Is it donor backed? Is it a pure exercise in, in virtue signaling? Is it really kind it of- It is a number of things. It's the belief that cars are inherently evil uh, and we have a war on cars. Um, it is a belief that environmental justice trumps all other uh, policy agenda items, right? Because if, if n nothing else could matter, if we're going to kill each other with the world ending, right? That, that's kind of the logic there. Even though, by the way, a fun fact, the MTA's own report on this shows that that not only will congestion be reduced by less than 1%, uh, but air pollution would not be reduced at all. Uh, and you're actually going to just shift the air pollution vis-a-vis -vis truck traffic to the outer boroughs. So the South Bronx, uh, for example, with the worst asthma rates in the country, we'll actually get more truck traffic uh, under this plan. But, but again, it's environmental justice trumps everything. It's the idea that cars are evil, and it's just the raw necessity of needing to finance the MTA 
um, which is a, a, a almost a boondoggle at this point. And, and I, I'll say on one hand that they're always going to be the biggest and most expensive public transit system in the United States. They actually handle more passengers per day than every other public transit system in the United States times two. Oh, wow. So there's no question they're always going to be a behemoth. But they are so mismanaged where it costs $30 million to put in a staircase. Uh, it costs, you know, uh, you know, three times, four times the amount of money per mile to, to, to build a, a subway tunnel. And there is never a clawback on the cost. There's always just this desire to just say, hey, we'll get new sources of revenue. We'll issue new bonds on the bond market to, to pay for capital infrastructure. We'll, we'll actually levy those bonds. Uh, and we'll build things at horribly overcost price because it's never going to catch up with us. And we're seeing how it's catching up with us because we have to keep coming up with new scams and schemes and taxes to, to, to basically backfill our, our bonding needs. So let's take it to a very quick commercial break. I actually want to pick this conversation up on the other side exactly where we left off. But we're with Joe Borelli. He's the minority leader of the New York City Council and just an all around mensch. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Joe. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Josh Hammer Show. So let's stay on the same topic and just unpack it a little further here because it was, I think it was Noah Rothman uh, at National Review. I'm not necessarily Noah's biggest fan on a lot of things, but he had this one piece recently that I thought was totally spot on where he basically just flagged a lot of these absurd environmental policies, whether it's the electric vehicle stuff. California has this new either proposed law or it's a law that passed. I can't quite remember about transitioning all trucks away from diesel towards EVs and the trucking industry is obviously up in arms about this. I mean, uh, whether it comes to like families trying to just do a road trip, I mean, something as basic as that, the pizza, all of this, Joe, from my perspective, amounts to a war on fun, <laughs> to, to, to to a war on just on just living normal lives. Um, I mean, it, it's like these people are are in like these robotic pods and they're living in the metaverse and they have just lost all connection to what normal day-to-day people working, living, trying to bring home bread to feed the family do. And you talk to me about what you see then as a, as a possible opportunity then. I, I'm trying to kind of picture the political messaging. It seems like this is an ample opportunity for the right to kind of push back and say, you know what, we want you to just live a normal life, have fun. I mean, is that kind of how you see this so-called that's, environmental that's justice? But, but, but herein lies a point of contention. I think the left sees that uh, people would not make decisions that were environmentally friendly if given a reasonable option to do so. Uh, in other words, if you weren't forcing people to get solar panels, which were not, 
Uh, but in someone's house, it actually makes financial sense for them to get a solar panel. People are making that decision all the time. Uh, and, and look at Tesla as a model, right? So yeah, people want an EV. Some people want to save on gasoline. Uh, people, I think, generally want to have a cleaner planet and all that wonderful stuff. But it turns out if you just make a really good product and you make a car that people you know want to drive, it's stylish, it's comfortable, it's got all these features, it's 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 kind of a cool thing. People will buy it and transition into more environmentally friendly things than if they're just simply uh, forced by by the gunboat diplomacy of the environmental left. Uh, and by the way, the environmental left constantly, constantly does things that are uh, averse to their own agenda. And I'll give you the greatest example from New York. Um, if you remember Andrew Cuomo, who kind of talked like this, he was a kind of a, a kind of a kind of a dope. Um, that's my Cuomo impression. <laughs> I don't know if it came good, it came across good or not on, on air. But Cuomo was so eager to please the environmental left, and and you you'd see Mark Ruffalo all the time up at the Capitol, for example, uh, you know, touting whatever he was touting that week. Um, but Cuomo decided to pander to the anti-nuclear uh, left, uh, and he closed Indian Point power, right. plant, which uh, at the time was producing about 2,500 megawatts uh, of power. And we haven't been able to make up for that with offshore wind, although we're getting some offshore wind turbines. You know, that's an argument for another day, but, but whatever, that, that's going to generate power down the road. But he never made up for it with any actual power plant. So what is happening in New York today? We're actually burning more fossil fuels today and not just clean natural gas. We're actually burning flex fuel, which is basically diesel, right? Just to make up for the energy needs of New York that this moron actually took off the grid from closing Indian Point clean, carbonless nuclear power plant, which, by the way, was recertified by the feds for, for another decade. You know, they did an inspection. They said, OK, you, you're good to operate for another decade safely. Uh, and he at that point said, no, 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 we're still going to close it because we're going to pander. Uh, and now, as a result, New York's air is worse than it ever was because of the left's stupidity. I'm actually so happy that you brought up Indian Point, which is a name that I haven't thought of in years. So that's actually pretty close to where I grew up. I grew up probably less than 15 miles from Indian Point. In fact, I'm kind of dating myself here, but I remember when I was the editor of my high school paper, the county brought together the editors of various local high school papers to basically stage a debate as to the future of the Indian Point nuclear facility there in Westchester County, New York. And I guess kind of foreshadowing the political path that I would basically take, you know, I was firmly and unequivocally on the side of this nuclear power plant should stay here. It is totally fine. You know, the environment. I had a funny story to compliment that that you're not even going to believe because in college, my thesis paper, I, I went to Marist, so I was on the Hudson as well. Uh, my thesis paper was about how uh, um, the Con Ed company, our, our energy company, sure. should have built a pumped storage hydroelectric plant on Storm King Mountain, right opposite of Indian Point. So you and I are more similar than, <laughs> than the others. Uh, and just a strange, we're strange energy brothers, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's the old Jewish-Italian connection, right? <laughs> um, so, Joe, one other topic that I wanted to make sure to get your thoughts on here is illegal immigration, because New York City, in many ways, it's not on the border, but it has borne large swaths of the brunt of the migrants being shipped from the border. And the costs, as far as I understand, to the New York City taxpayer are really, really shocking. And a lot of these migrants, based on what I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, are being put up, not necessarily in kind of shanty towns, but they're getting rooms and like luxury hotels and things like that. So from your vantage point, what the, what is going on when it comes to the migrant crisis in New York? And how much is the average taxpayer 
actually being burdened, not just by the cost of this, but also just in kind of a day-to-day living of, of seeing these migrant camps? I, I mean, how much is it, is it affecting the day-to-day life of your constituents and your fellow city council members' constituents? Well, I think New Yorkers are going to see the, the budget documents that pass in the next uh, week or so, uh, sooner than that, probably, uh, and realize that there's two point, you know, something billion dollars less for, for public services for New Yorkers because of this migrant crisis. That's roughly how much um, the actual cost uh, of the migrant crisis has been uh, in this current fiscal year, this upcoming fiscal year. To give you a comparison, that's about eight and a half million dollars per day. Uh, that is more than the entire FDNY. The FDNY employs 10,000 firefighters, 5,000 EMTs uh, in, in two or three hundred fire stations, stationed 24 hours around the clock with big red trucks rolling down the street all the time. And the migrant crisis is costing more per day than that. And it's actually almost costing more per day than the entire FDNY and our sanitation department with another 6,000 employees in big white trucks that roll around all day. So, I mean, this is this is a significant financial strain uh, on the city. Uh, and it's the sole responsibility of the woke left who decided to not just make us a sanctuary city, but put state constitutional protections in on the right to shelter. Um, you know, this guarantees uh, that the standard of care that we're giving these folks essentially is a hotel room for them and their family with 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 literally no foreseeable end in sight. There's not even a, a date certain. Hey, we're going to give you 60 days. We're going to give you 90 days. No, there's no date certain whatsoever. Uh, and there's no off ramp. So th- this is a problem that's not going to come to a head at any point soon uh, until uh, I think some of the Republican counties upstate where the mayor has sent some migrants uh, until they sue and perhaps get a, a constitutional change um, vis-a-vis the, the, the New York's highest court, which is the Court of Appeals, it's, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. I mean, we, we can't exist as the world's refugee camp. We just passed a milestone where now we have more migrants in our homeless shelters than actual New Yorkers. Wow. Um, and, you know, th- one of the things the mayor did good when he first started was uh, starting to uh, remove some of the homeless folks from the subways and and, and train stations. Right now, we can't even do that because we don't even have places to put the homeless when we ask them to leave the train. We can't even offer them a bed somewhere. So it's a it's a real problem. The shelters themselves uh, are are just spots where people loiter outside all day. I mean, it's it's uh, discomforting to, to see that uh, in a lot of cases. Um, it's taking neighborhoods that were once uh, you felt really safe in. And, and now you're putting uh, essentially two or three hundred homeless families. who are just congregating on the street with nothing to do all day. Uh, so it's having an impact. I, I don't want to I don't want to be the extremist who makes stuff up. We don't have any indication that there's more crime or something happening right. from the people that are here. And, and I want to be clear that many of them I've actually met uh, over the, the time they've been here. And, and a lot of them seem to be here for very genuinely good purposes. And, 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 and that's that. But it's, it just doesn't mean we can afford to be the Western Hemisphere's refugee camp uh, in posterity. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a microcosm of just the broader reluctance of many American citizens across this country to foot the bill for various conflicts halfway around the world, right? I mean, it's, it's the same kind of reaction. It's like, I understand this is a problem, but like, why the hell should I foot the bill for it? Why the hell do I need to pay for it? And personally, I think that's totally reasonable. I think I think that is absolutely reasonable for people to feel that way. You know, Mayor Adams, who, you know, I certainly criticize on some grounds, if, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, he's had, he, he had some mildly critical comments of the Biden administration's handling of this crisis. Jared Polis, the Democratic governor out in Colorado, certainly had some similar comments as well. I was kind of hoping that that would lead to a broader 
intra-democratic party backlash against the Biden administration and really kind of DHS secretary? Oh, I think it will. I, I think it will continue because this crisis won't this won't abate itself. Um, and I think uh, this mayor was more than willing to, to sort of carry the water for the Democratic Party nationally on on, on this issue uh, when it was, you know, 5,000 people, 10,000 people that, that we wouldn't even notice in our budget. There might not even be a line item for it. Right. N- you know, now that it's not just this rounding era. Um, I, I think the mayor is, is yeah. trying to cash uh, cash a check from the administration and the, the checks bouncing at every time. So that's uh, that's really the problem. Yeah, no, totally. So one other issue that I have noticed from afar, I think much of the country has has noticed from afar are these terrible situations on, on the New York City subway where there have been multiple incidents now, of course, not just Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny, but more recently we saw. Jordan Williams, who was not in Manhattan, he was in, he was in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. So different DA, different prosecutor there. But when it comes to kind of what you're hearing from from your constituents and really just what you're hearing from your colleagues in the city council in general there, what, do people feel genuinely unsafe on the subway? And as a natural corollary to that, yes. and, 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 but, but, go but ahead. stop your question, but stop your question. Okay. Yesterday was primary day uh, and we had record low turnout uh, and so many of these incumbents weren't even challenged uh, by by more moderate Democrats. Now, where they were challenged, well, we have a guy named Charles Barron. You could you could um, you could uh, Google him. He's, he's one of the more racist members of the council. He's uh, as anti-police, as socialist uh, as possible. I will give him some street cred because, you know, we have some members who, who wear berets and want to be fashionable socialists. Right. This guy actually wants to seize private property. Like, like he's he's really in it. Wow. Right. Um, he lost in Brownsville, which is a really rough part of, 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 of New York City and in, in Brooklyn, a really high crime neighborhood. He lost to a much more moderate young uh, black candidate uh, who sort of came from the community board and, and cares about the potholes. And, and, and more importantly, he actually uh, put on his website that he wants to actually work with the police rather than abolishing the police to make uh, Brownsville better. And he wants to have economic development in Brownsville. I mean, so where we have seen challenges, we've seen some progress. But these races are decided by 2,000, 1,000, 50, 100 votes. Uh, and by, by, the, by default, it means that the radical left plays such an important role because they can organize 1,000 people to support a candidate. So the, the people, yeah, so the bulk of people in Brownsville feel you know, concerned about public safety. It doesn't matter if that doesn't actually translate into uh, the electoral politics that you would need to remove people from office. This broader thing, though, I mean, that that has now happened multiple times with Daniel Penny and and Jordan Williams. Talk about just a a broader assault on kind of this fundamental right of of self-defense. And look, I was not there on the subway. I did not get kind of a second by second or a minute by minute recap. There was no camera that I saw kind of inside of, of, of the subway car there. But. Look, I mean, my brother lives on the Upper East Side in a, in, a, in a nice, somewhat more quiet part of Manhattan. There was a shooting like three or four blocks from him just just a few months ago. I mean, kind of out, out in the middle of the street. And, uh, you know, what is it? What, what does it say, I guess, about the fact that 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 New York City, which under Rudy Giuliani, of course, famously cracked down on crime, the whole broken windows policing thing, which I studied in law school. I mean, a remarkable success story. I mean. You know, what does it say that we have descended to this point where, you know, people don't know if they can travel the subway safely, if there are shootings on the Upper East Side? I mean, I mean just talking about kind of that broader descent. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we see it where I live, uh, where we, we have never had a crime problem on the south shore of Staten Island whatsoever. Um, and now I wake up every day to to my ring camera, you know, uh, community notifications showing me people are trying to break into my neighbor's backyards and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but again, th there is a complete disconnect uh, from uh, the legislative bodies, the state legislator, uh, legislature and the city council compared to what the average New Yorker feels and hopes and prays for. Um, uh, you know, while all this is going on, the, the, the subject debated in the city hall council meetings uh, is is whether we should have a panel to continue releasing even more Rikers Island inmates, who, by the way, is almost impossible to, to get stuck on Rikers Island. Now, you have to be, you know, one uh, one, one bad hombre uh, in order to, to be actually sentenced right. and remanded. Right. Uh, and yet that's not even good enough. It's not even good enough, by the way. Just consider this. Most every judge, almost every single judge in New York City that does criminal court is elected or appointed by Democrats. Um, and even giving those people the discretion to say, hey, maybe this guy really needs to be behind bars. Right. That's not even good enough. Now we need, uh, you know, another panel to figure out how to get these people uh, out of jail because it's too much. So it's it's crazy. It uh, it just it's a complete disconnect from reality. Yeah, no, I, I have followed the Rikers Island stuff myself. Charles Fain Layman of State Journal has done a really nice job of reporting that uh, on that over the past year or so. So, Joe, let, let's get you out of here with this question. So you're a Staten Island guy. Staten Island, if I'm not mistaken, I think they even supported John McCain in 2008 in the presidential election. So they they've been kind of trending red and, and substantially, I mean, I mean, notably redder than the rest of New York City for for a very long time now. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I think of, kind of Staten Island as kind of the bread and butter of, of, of the New York Post, right? The New York Times has, has the Upper West Side, these kind of effete liberals. And, and the New York Post really kind of is, which is kind of more of like a blue collar working class paper. And the broader point that I'm kind of building at and, and getting at here is that I, I think your home, I think Staten Island kind of kind of presaged this broader kind of national political realignment where Republicans have really come to be. And this ties it back nicely with our earlier conversation about the so-called environmental justice nonsense, where the Republicans have really become kind of the party of the working class and the middle class. So uh, do you agree with that assessment? And do you? Yeah, and, and, and nowhere is it probably more of a microcosm than in Staten Island, which which uh, by itself would be the 37th largest city in the country. It'd be the second largest city in the state. Uh, and it would be one of the reddest uh, cities in the United States of America. And, and the, that's interesting because we are essentially an appendage uh, with very little say uh, in the city we live in. So it only amplifies uh, our Republican voices when you have politicians like me who can say, you know, red things all the time uh, and never have to worry about the electoral consequences. I mean, just, just to be clear, I live in New York City and I am in no way concerned ever about a Democratic opponent. My, my, my district is probably the most conservative in the state of New York. Um, and a part of that is because of looking at how people come to Staten Island and where they come from. And it's not about who they are. So I'll get to that in a second. People come to Staten Island because they, for whatever reason, have to live in New York City. Maybe they're city workers. Maybe it's out of convenience. Uh, they want a place that's suburban. They want a place that they have a backyard. They want a place with safe public schools, with real parks, with uh, opportunities to, 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 to get out into nature and to really live the suburban lifestyle while in New York City. And they leave the places they are because of the high density urban environment. Uh, the woke, you know, criminal justice laws and stuff like that. They're sick of living in high density urban environments and they seek a refuge. And that refuge is often Staten Island. Now, that holds true whether you are. I mean, some of the biggest groups moving into my district are, are Asian people, Russian speakers, 
uh, uh, South Asians, meaning, you know, Indian, Pakistani. These people are leaving high concentrations of Democratic neighborhoods uh, and they are coming to Staten Island. And, and we as the Republican Party are, are you know, we're, we're shaking their hands with a smile and welcoming them in. And they are voting uh, conservative. And it's an interesting thing how we have carved this niche uh, part of New York City out. Well, Joe, you've been front and center of that niche for a while now. So thank you for all that you do. And my God, man, I hope that I hope that the next time that you and I reconnect that this pizza thing has been shot down because I mean, for goodness sake, when I make it up to New York next, you know, I want my thick, fat slice of New York pizza. But, you know, until then, Joe, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Josh Hammer Show. So I think the conversation that Joe and I had there when it comes to so-called environmental justice and this broader culture class war, this is clearly, I think, one of the ways that the right should try to retake the high ground. Uh, To me, it seems clear as day. I mean, no matter where you look, I I mean, take the left's logical arguments to its conclusion. I mean, when it came to the AOC Green New Deal and like farting cows and methane and capping emissions and all that stuff, or whether it comes to its logical conclusion where you have these Malthusians, and they really are just modern day Malthusians, who are so concerned about how much humans pollute the earth, they are vowing to not have children. I mean, its logical conclusion is something closely approximating the mass suicide at Jonestown in the late 1970s. I I mean, to to be clear, uh, that is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And I pray to God that that these zealots who, who take this fundamentally pagan ideology never actually take it to that conclusion. But that really kind of is the logical endpoint is just horrific, horrific acts like that. On the other side of the equation, when you have people who are just trying to get by, who maybe aren't thinking too much about the brick oven pizza oven, who aren't thinking too much about how much their car from 15 years ago with 120,000 miles is actually kind of putting gas out there, especially compared to the gas for John Kerry's private jet, Leo DiCaprio, all these shameless leftist, far left climate justice hypocrites. You know, that is a real opportunity, I think, for the right, especially amidst this broader realignment that Joe and I talked about at the very end. There is a really, really, really compelling issue for the right to seize upon. And I and I hope to see more of that on the presidential campaign trail, because that's one issue where I haven't seen a ton of focus, kind of this culture class war nexus of the environmental movement and really just dated people trying to get by. I would love to see kind of Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump. For that matter, all of the candidates talk a little bit more about that. I think that is some excellent, excellent fodder 
to reach out to independent voters who are tuned out from the day-to-day BS of our national politics. But in any event, we hope you enjoyed this episode with Joe Borelli of the New York City Council. We'll be back with you with a Supreme Court special episode in the next few days. So until then, I'm Josh Hammer. See you next time. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.